tell us about this problem because you say it's a pandemic. How did we get to these pandemic proportions? In the late 1990s, there was a paradigm shift for treating chronic pain. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Today, we have a very special podcast interview set up. We're going to be talking with three individuals from three major organizations that are going to be collaborating to put together a film screening on substance use, addiction, treatment, and alternatives. Our three guests are Legislator Kara Hahn, who's a elected official in Suffolk County, Dr. Carol Carter, Executive Director and Founder of the Sunshine Alternative Education and Prevention Center, Mr. Steve Chasman, LCSW, and he is the Executive Director of LICAD, Long Island Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, and we welcome all three of you, and we're going to ask you to all to give our listeners a little brief background about yourselves. First, we'll start with legislator Kara Hahn. Then we'll go to Dr. Carol Carter. And finally, last but not least, Mr. Stephen Chasman. Legislator Hahn, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background, please. Oh, thank you, Silas. Um... I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and honored uh, to be part of this panel with um, two true champions um, from Suffolk County and Long Island uh, in the area of substance abuse disorder treatment and um, advocacy. Uh, so, you know, uh, th thank you for having me. Um, my name is Kara Hahn. I'm a Suffolk County legislator. I've been majority leader, deputy presiding officer of the legislature. I have an MSW from a long, long time ago. <clears throat> um, and, you know, my first year field placement uh, when I got my MSW was drug and alcohol counseling in a prison. So I go way back um, with this issue. Uh, I love what I do as a legislator. I've worked really hard um, trying to make a difference for people, trying to make a difference across Suffolk County. And um, have just been privileged to be in this role and having an opportunity to affect policy um, across Suffolk County that can help uh, this um, epidemic of um, overdose and, and addiction. Uh, so thank you for having me here. Uh, so thank you for having me here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Dr. Carter. Yeah, thank you so much. I am privileged, uh, thankful, and all to be a part with all of you guys. And um, uh, I would st start with saying, I actually got into the field uh, because of my own personal experiences. Uh, my family have been touched by substance use disorder. And I was a young mom looking for help for my children and couldn't find anything on the, the community level. So I actually started a program myself, and I'm going back 30 years ago, finding a small little prevention program in a local school district. And I was trained in that program through LICAD, actually. Um, and again, that's over 30 years ago, and they were the trainers for the program. So uh, from my own personal experiences to now having the opportunity to give hope to others, and that's my premise of being a prevention professional, I want to give hope that there is help out there. There are people that uh, somewhat understand that have gone through things and to know that there are where the, that there are places that you can go for help. So um, today yeah, I run the center and uh, my family's very involved. So I'm happy again to be on here. So 
<laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And last but certainly not least, uh, Mr. Stephen Chasman. Thank you, Silas. And I'll just mirror what my colleague said. It's an honor to serve on the panel, getting this film together. Uh, it's all about partnerships and collaboratives. Uh, I also have the privilege of, of working for a 66-year-old uh, not-for-profit that serves Nazareth and Suffolk County, the Long Island Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. So, Dr. Carter, thank you for, you know, LICAD has been around since 1956. So about to embark on our 67th year. And quite frankly, I think I speak for all of us that the issue of substance use, mental health, prevention, the need for policy, and Legislator Hahn has been a champion for us all with changing policy in Suffolk County and across New York State. So seems to be a perfect blend where we have a great media host. We have a legislator who has been really influential in changing policy right here on Long Island. And of course, Dr. Carter and her team doing prevention, which are two key components to turning the corner on what is a bona fide and devastating 15 year uh, epidemic called the substance use, opioids, alcohol. You know, you could pick your poison, but uh, we're a critical mass right now. And without saying too much, we all know 2021 was uh, regrettably the worst year in American history for fatal overdose opioids, alcohol, and others. But it's, a, it's an honor to be here. Thank you, Silas. Thank you, thank you. So um, so the reason why we're all here is um, there's gonna be a, a major film screening. Uh, the date is Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m. The location is Theater 3, it's 412 Main Street, Port Jefferson. So um, I want each of you to share with our listeners, you know, what this film is about, how you came to know about it, and why is it important for the entire community to bring as many people as possible out to this film screening. So I'm gonna go first start with you, Dr. Carol Carter. I'm just, uh, you know, again, grateful to do the collaboration. I don't know a whole lot about the film. Steve came to me uh, with this idea and I got to see another film by Gregory Williams, which was called The Anonymous People. And I remember that making a big impact in my life at that time. And I also have lost a lot of loved ones uh, during this epidemic, a lot of connections with people that I know, former students in our school and that have lost their life to this. So when he came to me with this, I, again, prevention, anything I can do to be a part of it to to help raise awareness and to offer hope to others. So uh, again, I don't know a whole lot about the film itself. Um, I'm just sold into this topic and anything we can do together to to make make a difference. Okay, so uh, I'm going to then jump over to Steve because uh, um, obviously LICAD had a, a major role in uh, bringing this whole thing together. Um, so Steve, tell our listeners um, about the film um, and why it's important for this film to be screened at such a time as this. Well, I won't take credit for the filmmaker, but I know Greg Williams 15 years. Um, his first film when he was, and I'm not breaking his anonymity, he's been pretty vocal internationally, that he was a young man <clears throat> recovering from substance use disorder. Uh, in his mid-20s or early 20s, he made a film called Anonymous People. Now, ironically enough, September, as all of us know, but your listeners should know too, is National Recovery Month from substance use. Right now in America, there are 30 million Americans living in long-term recovery from uh, substance use disorder, so recovery is possible. 
uh, one of LICAD's mission, and I think Legislator Hahn and Dr. Carter too, is to change some of the stigma on this. So his first film, Anonymous People, is saying like, I think we have a misconstrued idea about anonymous. Uh, if you're in 12-step program or you walk through the world in recovery, uh, anonymous means you can't say I'm in recovery, but I certainly can. So what it was, it was a call to the, nat to the nation to say, if you're in recovery, and if we all show up and raise our hands and say, I'm living in long-term recovery or short-term recovery, um, there's power in that. Uh, we don't want to take away from any other illness, but next month is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I've been touched by that. And I march and I wear pink and the whole thing. And that's great. Uh, we want to get this disease, not so much in basements of buildings, but up above. And right now, because of the epidemic, Greg Williams really kicked it off with his first film to say, if we all show up on the White House steps tomorrow, 30 million of us, we'll see change. Second to that, his film was Generation Found, which was a documentary about three recovery high schools. Now, whether you know it or not, right now, um, Long Island has a recovery high school. I'm gonna say that's a direct derivative of Greg's second documentary film. Uh, we're very proud in Suffolk County to have uh, our first recovery high school. This is his third inception. Now, I've, I've kept in touch with Greg Williams. I've watched him uh, present uh, in Washington, DC to congressional hearings. A very motivated and talented young man in film and in advocacy. Um, he does the right things for the right reasons, and he's lending a voice to a lot of people. The film producer, and his name is Greg Williams. Greg, welcome to the Kelso and the Social Work Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and please take a few minutes to give our listeners a little background about yourself. Yeah, well, thanks, Silas. It's really great to be here. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, really awesome uh, in terms of spreading the message about uh, wellness and mental health and, and addiction issues. Um, so I'm a, a film producer. Uh, you know, I, I focus primarily on um, uh, independent uh, social justice documentaries. Um, and so I've made a few feature length films with um, a partner, uh, Jeff Riley, who's an Emmy award winning editor, director. Um, and so he helped create the anonymous people generation found and now tipping the pain scale with me. Um, and we're just passionate about raising up voices and stories of change and transformation. I think, you know, everyone kind of, uh, has seen the addiction docs that will drag you down and kind of leave you hopeless. And it's, um, you know, what do we do? This issue is so big and it impacts all of us. I'm a, I'm a person in recovery myself, um, for over 21 years and, and recovery has been, you know, the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And it, it's really important to tell that side of the story, you know, and to tell the side of the story that, uh, that, that transformation is possible, change is possible. And, and we need to kind of think through exactly what you said, doing things, you know, perhaps not doing the same thing over and expect different results, you know, as we've done. And and so tipping the pain scale really, you know, digs into six different characters from different communities, um, working on change, working on this issue from different levels of society, different layers of society. Part of a, the challenges in this issue is everyone's like, well, well, how do you fix it? How do you get out of it? And 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 the answer to that is it's it's nuanced and it's going to take a lot of different things um, and different components. So maybe we could talk some more about that. But but that's what tipping the pain scale is all about. And and uh, uh, hope people come out and, and check it out. 
So we've seen this film. They just premiered it in Albany uh, at the ASAP conference. And I heard it was about 2,000 people on a standing ovation. I have some friends that were up there at that conference in the last few days. So we're really excited when he called and said, for educational purposes, before I submit to film festivals, I want LICAD to roll it out. So our first inception will be next Thursday, a week from tonight. And we're partnering with a bunch of local organizations and we'll show at Cinema Arts. So when it comes to Port Jefferson, there are no more leaders than Legislator Hahn and Dr. Carter uh, in really pulling together a community. And uh, the film talks about not only um, the pain epidemic and which led to the opioid crisis and unscrupulous pharmaceutical companies, but more importantly, as a society, our inability to tolerate, to cope with, and to manage discomfort. Uh, so it is not a doom and gloom film, although there are some staggering statistics. It is the a film story about is being told as the physical pain crisis led to the opioid crisis. When the real story is that the emotional pain crisis has always been leading to a drug crisis. There is a quote to individuals experiencing homelessness and active addiction, and it says that the obstacle to my client's engagement and treatment is not an absence of pain, it's an absence of hope. It's a film that if we pull together as a community, as a state, as a nation, that change can come about both from the policy, from harm reduction, from access to treatment, uh, from overcoming obstacles like unscrupulous pharmaceutical companies and insurance laws. And it's really a call to action and it's a call to hope. So I found the film very inspirational. Half of our staff were in tears. The other half had their fist in the air and both are acceptable. Uh, so we're looking forward to really showing this film to the community and it fostering dialogue, which ultimately we hope will uh, produce change. Okay, thank you. And uh, Legislator Hahn, um, your... Um, legislative body and your district in particular have, have been really instrumental in making sure there are resources available, that information gets out. Um, share with our listeners and viewers a little bit about um, how your legislative body, yourself and your district have uh, stepped up to the challenge of making sure that this um, insidious disease is battled um, with a lot of fierce um, positivity. Thank you. Um, you know, Suffolk County, uh, uh, obviously, um, with uh, health department, with the Division of Mental Health and Mental Hygiene has a real role to play. Um, I was elected, um, the year I was elected first was back, way back in 2011, um, was my first election to the legislature that summer. My daughter uh, had just graduated from high school and she lost um, two of her close classmates, lost older siblings to overdose that summer. And I just said to myself, you know, we have to do something. It, 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 it's, um, you know, it was just so apparent um, to me. Um, I didn't think I didn't think there was anything that really I could do as a local legislator. And um, then uh, Steve's um, predecessor, Jeff Reynolds, um, reached out and um, he told me about uh, an old report that had been sitting on the shelf, you know, gathering dust. And he was hoping someone 
um, would take a look at it and start to implement the recommendations um, that were in that report. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, the first thing I did um, the summer of uh, 2012, so right away, first year legislator was introduced the legislation to put Narcan, which is um, Loxalone, or I can't even say it, Naloxalone, <laughs> um, brand name for Naloxalone, into our police sector cars. Because oftentimes um, the police officers are first on the scene um, in an overdose and they can administer. They at the time where, you know, we all of our police officers are um, EMTs, uh, basic life support EMTs, they have that training and you needed that at the time. Um, to administer uh, Narcan and um, the, you know, there were so many people who didn't think it would help. Um, the commissioner at the time was one of them. He said, ah, you know, if we save one life, he called me a month into the program and said, Kara, from the moment we started, we've been saving lives over and over and over again. He couldn't believe it 12 in a week sometimes more. Um, and it really, you know, at some point they told me police officers had saved 2,500 lives from it. It's, it's one of the most, I cry sometimes just thinking about it. You don't often get to count the number of lives, the policy that you write, um, you know, uh, effects. And, um, you know, we followed up, uh, we put, we, the legislation I wrote after that, um, made it possible for our health department. We go around, our health department goes around training lay people at the time that wasn't a thing being trained, how to use Narcan to just anyone. Um, but we got, we got onto, you know, we made that possible. Uh, and, and since then part, you know, again, partnering with LICAD over and over again to follow up with anyone who'd been saved to make sure that they get, um, get, you know, follow up for treatment. Um, we worked on, um, worked really hard on implementing uh, uh, training for coaches in high schools and middle schools on signs and symptoms of addiction and working on emergency room protocols and, and many, many, many other initiatives. Legislator Sarah Anker um, runs a, a task force um, that meets, uh, I believe it's either quarterly or monthly um, you know, just dealing with the issue. And of course we fund so many uh, not-for-profit agencies, contract agencies in the community. Uh, we don't ever give them enough money. Um, and there is an influx of money coming, not soon enough, uh, from the settlements, uh, the lawsuit settlements with the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, and I even wrote legislation to like put it into our law saying it has to be used for treatment, recovery, uh, prevention programs. I could go on and on about all that Suffolk does, but it's not enough. It's not enough. Steve just told you um, 2021 after the pandemic was the worst year and on record for the nation, um, Suffolk County had been improving. Um, and, you know, we unfortunately took that, that horrible bounce and now the numbers are back up um, after the pandemic. And so, you know, we really have to double down our efforts and we're committed to it. Uh, so thank you for having me here. Thank you, thank you. All right, Dr. Carter, your, the name of your organization is the Sunshine Alternative Education and Prevention Center. So talk to our listeners and viewers a little bit about 
things that your organization does in, in such a wonderful way to, to work on the prevention piece? So our programs, it is a youth and family center. So it, um, we, we are not therapy. Mm -hmm. We are education and support. So it goes along with therapy. It's therapeutic in nature because we're working on building and changing behaviors, but uh, we always are clear that it's education and support. They're all small little support groups that we utilize uh, various prevention strategies. I've been uh, trained in a, a lot of different programs. I've also created my own curricula, a curriculum for a lot of the programs. And what it is, um, prevention doesn't mean we're gonna stop everything from happening, but if we can get in front of things before they get too big and out of hand, sometimes we're the first step to someone getting help because they don't feel as threatened at our center. And then when they come and they think, wow, um, I could use this. Uh, maybe I, they start trusting us and then they're willing to, for us to give them resources for counseling and things like that. We look at the risk and protective factors in the prevention field. The risk factors are the factors that put uh, children more at risk for problem behavior later on. And the protective factors are the factors that we hopefully can instill to protect them against some of those things. So uh, one of the main things is really building on social skills. The social emotional learning is what the key terms are nowadays. We hear character education, social skills, and it's really building on those skills, decision-making, uh, you know, um, coping skills. We look at why people use substances and then we think of okay so what can we do so our programs are all based on building those skills starting with the age of five going all the way through adults and we have small little support groups that through fun and creative ways reinforce them 2005 we started the alternative school um it, we are two entities at sunshine center my dream was always to have a recovery high school but unfortunately, you know, we're tiny, a tiny little facility and it just didn't work. But um, I, a lot of what we do is designed around Recovery High School and I, lo I learned all about them. And unfortunately, well, this is, is fortunately, we're, we're a unique alternative school and it's the step before recovery. Most don't want recovery. Uh, many are still using, kicked out of school for various reasons, but we hope that we can teach and build on those skills to help them look at, wow, you know, why am I using, why am I smoking weed every day? Uh, why am I um, having these problems in school? And hopefully build on those positive skills. And uh, we work with the parent. I was a parent who needed help. I was a young mom. I am a person in long-term recovery. And um, my, you know, I was looking for help for my children. And at first, you know, we'd have parents drop kids off and say, did you make them not angry? Did you, what'd you teach them? And I like, wait, what's wrong with this picture? So all of our programs have a mandatory parent or guardian component. Um, we have a lot more grandparents raising grandchildren because of the parents' addiction. They're coming to our groups. I do a lot of programs for people mandated, maybe they lost their children due to issues relating to fighting in the home, using substances. I have situations where uh, babies, 
ingested drugs because the parents left it on the table. So I work with these people and hope that I can give them some skills and support so they start to see how they maybe can change their behavior. So uh, it's, again, it's the whole youth and family center today and it's prevention focused. So it's trying to give hope and hopefully we can make some of those changes by getting to children from a young age. Okay. And, uh, and, and I believe that there's an adage that says an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So uh, um, Steve Chasman, your organization has been known for years about the different treatment modalities. And, and you mentioned a few of the motivational interviewing, uh, you know, harm reduction, um, educate our listeners and viewers who may not be familiar with those, um, you know, how they work, why they're important. And, and, and how can you tell, you know, if they're being effective or not? Well, I think you, with your introduction, Silas, I mean, if we were looking at this from a social research standpoint, mm-hmm. we've been failing miserably at treating substance use disorders for the last 50 years, possibly because of the war on drugs. And we've dealt with this issue probably one dimensionally for the last uh, 40 out of 50 years. And that has been incarcerate, incarcerate, incarcerate. Uh, We all believe in the miracle of recovery, and thank you, Dr. Carter, for for your proclamation, but that miracle of recovery becomes null and void if someone dies of a fatal overdose. So right now, we are reducing harm and trying to reduce the fatal overdose rate. Now, listen, I'm around drugs my whole life, professionally and other. I never heard the word fentanyl until eight years ago. Mm. Getting back to Legislator Hahn, listen... In extraordinary times comes extraordinary people who can do extraordinary things. Um, For seven years, we've been handing out fentanyl test strips. We called and we asked for them, and we started putting them in risk reduction kits with naloxone and Narcan. Uh, Legislator Hahn is very in touch with the substance use community and always wants to know what is the next legislation that can save lives. Naloxone, and I remember that, Kara, it was amazing. And last year on Long Island, yes, 1,500 lives saved by naloxone. Uh, but also fentanyl test strips. So to Legislator Hans' credit, introduced a bill that got signed by county executive to put fentanyl test strips and use county dollars to really minimize the harm so drug users can test their material. Um, This is not encouraging drug use. What it is is meeting public health where it is, not where we want it to be. And right now we're in a life-saving mode. Last year across America, 108,000 opioid fatalities. Most of those could, be, could have been prevented with the presence of naloxone or fentanyl test strips. We just got to get it in the hands of people. Now, um, I don't, I'm certain we're not ready for injection, safe injection sites here on Long Island. This is not Midtown Manhattan or the five boroughs, but good old fashioned harm reduction to Carol's point, Dr. Carter, if they get familiar and they build a rapport, they will ask for help. Substance users are not good people. They have a really bad disease, but they're not actively suicidal. They're ironically trying to feel better. Never forget that opioids, including fentanyl, heroin, and OxyContin, um, they anesthetize pain. So to everyone's point, the last three years has been an adult dose of change, discomfort, uncertainty, fear, anxiety, death, dying, COVID. So we're all looking to kind of tap out. Unfortunately, these drugs work remarkably well in the short term, but they cause a host of biopsychosocial and spiritual difficulties um, down the road. Uh, 108,000 people, by the way, fills Giant Stadium. And because Lycat and everyone on this call knows, this is a family illness. Not to mention, same year, last year, 156,000 alcohol-related fatalities. So Silas, you know this about Lycat. 
we're not a temperance organization. What we do is meet the public health crises where they're at. We try to, with dignity and with respect, give people the assistance they need. And if they're committed to longer term drug use, we will work with them and hopefully to preserve their life. And one day, I believe there's three answers to every question. Yes, no, and not yet, just like Dr. Carter. And when their no becomes a not yet and possibly a yes, they can have relationships with the Sunshine Center, with LICAD, with a host of other resources. And hopefully one day we can um, get them to treatment and on the road to recovery. I have to tell you though, there's too many white, black, and brown and red people who have ended up in an eight by 12 cell over the last 40 years because they've made some really bad mistakes. So diversion programs, working with district attorneys, changing the paradigm of how we deal with substance use as a public health crisis, uh, working with someone as progressive as Sheriff Toulon, who really believes in rehabilitation. And if they have them in a controlled environment, let's give them all the support and education they need so they can change the trajectory of their lives. And Silas, I know you're big on changing trajectories, but it takes caring people to um, take a stand. And I think everyone on this panel, uh, particularly yourself, Silas, Legislator Hahn, Dr. Carter, are living examples of that. All of these elements are featured in this film. Like I said, it's a, a, a documentary of hope uh, and it is a call to action. What are we willing to do? This is our generational plague. Some may say it's COVID. Uh, I'm not gonna you know, uh, quantify human loss, but this has had a 15 year head start. We've seen American pharmaceutical companies suppress addictive data that has directly led to the demise of hundreds of thousands of Americans. We're getting ready for the commercialization of marijuana. And we know, because we're older, right? They're not gonna target us, the 52 year old male. They're targeting kids. And it's a high, so we have real challenges. And you know, what are you gonna do when those challenges present themselves? And that's what the film asks of us as citizens and as uh, concerned people. Everything that I've done in my life up until this moment was meant for me to be here right now, having this conversation with you. Something that I've survived, something that I've lived through, is meant to touch the heart of somebody in this audience. And so, and so all our listeners and viewers, again, uh, let me just um, state correctly, the location is Theater 3, it's 412 Main Street, Port Jefferson. Uh, the date is Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m. We're asking everyone to please spread the word. Um, we're asking for community, youth organizations, agencies, uh, schools, mental health professionals, social workers, substance use counselors, uh, to please make sure you bring as many people as you can. Uh, what we really would like to see on that evening is standing room only which means that everybody came out and everybody brought someone and everybody has a chance to get educated. And so as we start to think about, you know, how we got to this point, one of the things that the research has shown is that in many instances, there's a self-esteem issue um, boiling underneath the surface and, and people don't really know how to deal with that. Um, and so they want to uh, be accepted and they want to be accepted because they don't feel good enough about themselves. Um, um, each of you, as we get ready to come to the, uh, the wrap up of this, talk about uh, a person's self-acceptance and, and how that plays into them feeling that they need to do something 
like uh, pick up a substance, whether it be the gateway drugs or other, in order to be accepted. Um, let's start with uh, you, Dr. Um, Dr. Carter, and you, you work with a lot of youth, and how, how do you help with, that, with their acceptance of themselves from a self-esteem as a prevention tool? Well, I just talked about this today to the kids in our school program, and, uh, and I didn't even know what self-esteem was at 30 years old when I came into the rooms. I had to learn what self-esteem was so then I could help my own children. How am I going to teach kids self-esteem when I don't even know it myself? So uh, I think for us, it's three components. The first is education. You have to teach them. What does it mean to have self-esteem? What's high self-esteem? What's low self-esteem? And, you know, some of the research I've seen where it says that drug addicts and alcoholics a lot of times have high self-esteem doesn't mean they have to have low self-esteem. There's many factors while someone picks up uh, substance use and abuse. So it, um, if we feel good about ourselves and we're more more likely to make better choices, uh, you know, there's a lot of factors that have to play from family setting to peer influence to community and school uh, and things, social media now. So I think the number one thing, if someone feels safe and comfortable that someone understands them in some ways, you know, that maybe they'll begin to start looking at, at some of those things. So they'll feel good enough about themselves that they're willing to start to get help or start to acknowledge some of the things they're doing. So it's a very complex question, kind of, you know, or answer to that question, but um, that's my intake um, view on it. Okay. All right. Uh, would you um, share your thoughts on that, um, Steve, please? Well, thank you, Dr. Carter. And it's a great question. And listen, we're all trying to navigate this human experience, but, you know, you build self-esteem by doing esteemable acts. Mm -hmm. so for those who are familiar with 12-step, I mean, this is 86 years of the concept of one person helping another, and you don't need health insurance. Uh, you know, you come in asking for help, and then by the 12-step, your primary purpose is to go out and help someone else. Now, whether it's the drug crisis, whether it's climate change, whether it's, um, uh, we won't get into politics, but whether it's divisions in uh, our government, um, there's lots of things, uh, civil rights. You know, let us not forget that a lot of us were in the streets a couple of years ago. You know, I was at, uh, I won't sidetrack, but I was at the West Indian Day Parade this weekend uh, in Wine Dance and just talking to a lot of young people. You know, really, really important that the change is in their hands. And, uh, you know, I think many of us who are in the field of human service or community service or public service know that, um, you know, getting out of ourselves and thinking of others is really a great way to build self-esteem. Thing about substance use is, uh, and I don't mean to paraphrase, but oftentimes in the latter parts of the disease, it becomes very selfish, self-seeking, self-deluded, um, um, and self-righteous. Not a lot of um, we, us, and them people tend to recoil into I, me, and my. And there's a Buddhist proverb that says, if you want to be miserable, think of yourself. If you want to be happy, think of others. And I look of great men and women throughout history, some of which I'm sharing this call with, um, the ability, and listen, I go to bed worrying about myself, I wake up worrying about myself. But the hours in between, because of the field of social work, because of the 12-step, because of compassion and empathy, um, turns out that substance users in recovery are overachievers. We go on to do amazing things, but we need education. We need support. We need someone to believe in us. Hence, Legislator Hahn, the Sunshine Center, Dr. Carroll, LICAT and our qualified staff. 
and say, listen, we'll help you to make the change. I don't think there's any shame in losing your way. For a lot of us, we have to lose ourselves to find ourselves. And getting lost isn't the problem, but we build self-esteem by being able to pull ourselves up, ask for help, and this is the skill set, and then go out and be able to give what was so freely given to many of us. Thank you, thank you. All right, um, just uh, before we wrap it up, share your thoughts on that, um, what it means to you know, help somebody to feel better about themselves from a self-esteem point, um, if that is the problem, um, legislate on it. Well, listen, I mean, uh, so much of um, the uh, addiction problem has been shown, you know, dual diagnosis, multi-diagnosis. And I think the systemic problem of treating mental health separately from health in this nation is underlies everything that we speak about. Um, mental health is mental health care is health care. <laughs> um, and, you know, we need to make sure we're treating it that way. We need to recognize it that way. Um, you know, and so many times, um, you know, a huge percentage of um, folks who, who do fall into addiction, you know, they're self-medicating other mm. issues. Um, and some, and many times it's an injury and they just get addicted to, you know, pills that were overprescribed. Um, and they don't, you know, uh, Steve, I think can, can tell you, um, what I believe is the right number, but some children, teenagers can take as few as three days, um, to become addicted if they're prescribed an opioid. Uh, and so an injury is a moment of risk. Um, you know, th th there are so many moments of risk. And um, I think what's important moving forward is recognizing um, a full encompassing comprehensive view of health and, um, and recognizing how important um, that is from, from a young age till um, we're, we're old and gray. Um, you know, are looking at healthcare comprehensively and, and recognizing the importance of uh, self-worth and value of a whole individual. Um, we'll get far if, if we have that kind of compassion. Nassau, Suffolk and Queens and New York City and Westchester, wherever you live, if you hear this or you see this, we're asking you to come out on Thursday, October 6th, 7 p.m. The location is Theater 3, 412 Main Street, Port Jefferson. And the best part about this is it's free. There's no charge. And who we want? We want everybody that in any way has been afflicted and affected by this insidious disease called drug addiction. And so that means we want teachers, educators, social workers, mental health counselors, substance use disorder counselors, clergy, uh, community leaders, elected officials, uh, public citizens, anybody um, that has anybody that knows somebody who has been affected by this, and that's all of us. We're asking you to come out. We want to pack the theater, and we want to make sure that we get the word out in a timely manner. And that being said, um, so uh, Greg, tell our listeners and viewers 
How did this film come about? Where did the idea come up to do this particular film? Yeah, it was um, 2018, 2019. And, you know, the, the opioid um, crisis was was continuing to kind of get worse and the numbers and, and it, um, uh, you know, the fentanyl stuff was just, you know, really head scratching in terms of, of what was that, that was doing to, to different communities. And, um, you know, Jeff and I wanted to explore kind of what people were doing in response to that. And so we had this kind of new emergence of, of um, a complexity uh, related to, to the opioid issue and, and the addiction issue more broadly. I mean, we, we cover alcohol in the film and, and other substances of, of problem. And so anyways, uh, Tim Grant is the executive producer and he, he kind of called us up and said he was, he wanted to, um, uh, make a film, you know, to impact hearts and minds on, on this issue. And, uh, and so we thought that we would find, um, in, we would take people into the change that needs to happen through the eyes of individual characters. And so we found individual characters in different communities, and then we were able to kind of tell their story and through telling their stories um, of what they're doing on the ground uh, or, or at the cultural level. So, so we have um, Lauren Davis, who's uh, a state policymaker out of Washington state. We have Darren Waller, who is an NFL tight end telling his story um, we have, uh, Marty Walsh, the former Boston mayor, who's now the secretary of labor telling his story. Joseph Green is a spoken word artist and motivational speaker. Um, and Roz Picardo is doing incredible work, uh, on, on the streets of Kensington in Philadelphia. And so, um, you know, reaching out to, to individuals, uh, and so, um, through their eyes and through their stories, we're able to weave together, um, I, I guess a a statement about hope, a statement about what's possible, a statement about encouragement. This issue certainly means a lot to me um, in recovery myself, 24 years. My name is Marty Walsh and I'm an alcoholic. I think it's okay for people to know I'm in recovery because it's not a secret. Why do you think there's so little hope that this disease can be conquered and and how does this film try to raise up the, the the specter of there being hope for us not to be hopeless? So two-part question. Why do you think there's such little hope that this disease can be conquered? And how does this film um, do something to raise the specter that we should not lose hope? Yeah, I you know, I think, you know, there's two layers of of the hopelessness that that I really scratch my head around. And, and one is um, on the individual level, obviously families who are going through it with somebody for, for many years uh, can feel, you know, really dark. And, and on that level, it just, I, I continue to get frustrated by the system of care that we have and, and the, um, the responses, you know, we wait for somebody to get better, willing to get better. And it's like, you know, we don't, we don't do that in any other health issue. We don't do that in any other public health crisis. You know, we didn't wait for everybody to, um, 
you know, want to um, respond to COVID. No, we we <laughs> declared a public health crisis and we we attacked, you know, the COVID pandemic, right? Like, and, and whether people were ready or not to face it, like uh, they they got, you know, it, we got in their face about it, right? It, you know, the issue was right in their face. And with the addiction issue, there's just this apathy of, of, of responding to it with the same level of, uh, uh, you know, urgency, the, the, the broader challenge, I think around the layers of hopelessness is, um, the magnitude. I, I mean, this is like, this is an issue that touches almost every, uh, individual American and every layer of society. And, and so it's so massive that when things are this big, uh, I think a lot of people, um, get overwhelmed and they just, you know, they, they just can't go there, um, mm -hmm. either in their mind or in their space of like, how could this, how is there a way to ever, I mean, we're talking about 107,000 people who died last year. Uh, and then another, uh, couple hundred who, who might've lost their life related to alcohol. I mean, when you think about the magnitude of, you know, in the film, we have a stat, a million and a half lives lost, um, you know, just in the last few years. And it's, um, it's so big that I think, um, the transformation that needs to happen is so great. Uh, I think people get paralyzed sometimes. And so that's what I think we try to respond to in, in a, in a film in a feature film in this format is to say, well, yeah, you know, it's a big issue, but we can tackle this one community at a time, one layer of change at a time. And, 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 you know, we can't, you know, afford to be paralyzed, you know, by this issue. Um, and, and that's kind of the, point of view i think of, of the film and, and the point of view of the, the characters in our in our story but um i think it's so important that um you know the story of hope the story of recovery the story of resilience uh, you know uh is is told because um while it's true a lot of people are dying uh there's a whole lot of people recovering and um and that story is as valid and as important to be part of the conversation now the people that you that, that uh that you profile um, in the film, uh, you know, you got a professional and NFL player and and others of you know of of a pretty uh, significant stature. Um, in your opinion, um, I don't know if you know this, you know, per se, but I'm just going to ask you. In your opinion, what what do you think made each of them be a willing participant in this film? Yeah, um, you know, for for. For Darren, um, Darren Waller, who's the star tight end of the NFL, um, Oakland Raiders, you know, he um, is, is is really unique. I mean, we we have a lot of ex-professional athletes. I mean, you know, you talk about New York and Daryl Strawberry and um, uh, CC Sabathia and, and individuals like that from the New York community that have uh, been great advocates for recovery and continue to be great advocates for recovery, but they usually do that in like a post-career life. Mm -hmm. um, what's, what's, what's so unique about Darren Waller is just last Saturday, he sat there in his grocery clerk, grocery store stocking shirt that he, he, when he got expelled from the NFL, uh, he went and stocked shelves at a grocery store in early recovery. He just signed a $51 million contract um, for the Oakland Raiders in, in that T-shirt last Saturday. And so that's the difference, right, is that he's like you watch Monday Night Football last year. They spent, you know, six minutes talking about his recovery story with with somebody during Monday Night Football. And 
guy had me playing football for a reason. It would be a platform to impact other people. I want to be in the world of changing minds and help people unlock who they really are. So it's, it's, it's putting it at a different level when he's at the pinnacle of his, of his career. So that's really unique in the professional sports world, what Darren's doing. Um, so it's, and so, you know, this was, uh, uh, you know, I think his willingness is he just believes in, in sharing his story. Uh, and he believes that, that it's super important uh, for others. And, and by doing so, He's got another teammate, Max Crosby, and some others who are seeking recovery on his own team um, mm. that, that are sustaining their recovery and the ripple effect of, of what he does. And we have this amazing piece in the film about one of the fans. So I hope people check it out. I'll, I'll tease that. Okay. And then, uh, Marty Walsh is the Secretary of Labor, um, you know, presidential cabinet, individual in recovery. And, and we actually get into his story of his coming out and, and why he felt it was important. And he started as a as a you know a labor organizer and as a state rep in Massachusetts, um, and and he got focused on on alcohol and and drug issues in the state legislature and and wanted to start working on that stuff, and um, you know and then one thing led to another and and he ends up running for mayor of the city of Boston and you know this issue certainly means a lot to me in recovery myself 24 years. My name is Marty Walsh, and I'm an alcoholic. I think it's okay for people to know I'm in recovery because it's not a secret. Didn't lie about his recovery status. And so mm -hmm. the Boston Globe and all these newspapers start saying, you know, uh, you know, former alcoholic runs for mayor, mm -hmm. you know, like thinking it's a bad thing. And it ended up being the whole recovery community came out to vote for him in a very wow. close election. Mm -hmm. And he won his election by a slim margin. And he will tell you that it was the recovery community that put him over the edge because they believed that he could help on this issue. Uh, from that seat in ways that other mayors might not have the perspective that he had, mm. uh, knowing the challenges of of alcoholism and addiction. And, and it was because of that that, you know, President Biden, who also mm. has this in his family, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, nominated him and, and felt very comfortable with him uh, at this at the uh, Department of Labor to um, enforce, you know, mental health and, and addiction parity. Uh, you know, for health insurance. Um, and, uh, and we have a song from Sia in the film and mm -hmm. she's been a, a longtime recovery advocate and, and she's just uh, uh, an incredible human being. And, and um, yeah, and each person, I think, you know, because Jeff and I had, had done some other films in our, in our past, people trusted us, uh, I think, to, to, to tell some of these stories. Um but uh, it's it's not without a lot of work and years of of of, of wrangling to try to get uh, folks together for a film like this. Okay, all right. So um, so we're having um, our film screening uh, down here in the Long Island area, and to all our listeners and viewers, again, that film screening for Tipping the Pain Scale um, is going to be Thursday, October sixth. The time is seven p.m. It's free. Uh, the location is Theater Three. 412 Main Street, Fort Jefferson. And we're asking everybody to come out. We've got elected officials that are behind this. Uh, some of my guests that I interviewed previously, one of them, uh, Legislator Kara Hahn, um, this is in her district. She's been very instrumental in making sure that there are resources available for those 
who are either struggling with or have somebody that they know are struggling with substance use. So uh, we, we have a wide cross-section of, of people that are behind this. Um, also, we have a, a community uh, leader who does a lot of work with youth. Um, and so that being the case, um, when a person comes to this film screening, what type of resources do you believe they should be able to leave with uh, after viewing this, in addition to all of the people that will be involved, like LICAD, like uh, Sunshine Alternative uh, Prevention, Education and Prevention Center, like uh, elected officials? What other types of resources do you believe they should be able to pick up from coming to just coming and seeing the film? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, if individuals aren't um, connected today, I mean, one of the beauties of, of this kind of format is uh, in, in a post-COVID environment where people can get back together, you know, is a, a, a place to have a conversation. Um, you know, we cover issues that are um, complicated and things like harm reduction and yes. syringe exchanges and naloxone and, and um you know, we, um, treatment, um, forced treatment for, for people who are incapacitated. And so, so we cover like some, some thorny issues in the film. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully people can have a conversation and, and, and some people might not agree and they, some people might disagree. And, but that's the point, right. Is mm -hmm. to, to, to provide the space for that conversation, uh, and also provide the space for people to engage. I mean, I think one of the, most exciting things uh, that that we've had an opportunity to witness in these film screenings is people see what Roz is doing or people see what um, uh, you know Lauren Davis is doing in Washington State and 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 they leave and they say like well I want to run for for office or or I want to go do some street outreach like you know and it's and it's opening up people's mind to mm. the possibility that that these are just regular people like them. Mm -hmm. who chose to go make an impact. And I think that's the most important thing. While some of us might not be, you know, 6'10 and 220 and can run as fast as Darren Waller, mm -hmm. um, that story in context is, 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 you know, perhaps we can all be like that, uh, but there's plenty of folks in this, in this film that uh, everyday folks could, could go and, and take action. And so um, anyways, it's, it's uh it's amazing to have the resource partners like, mm -hmm. you know, all the organizations you listed and, mm -hmm. and, and get plugged in, but also, you know, get people engaged civically and, and, and from an advocacy standpoint, because, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of dollars being thrown at this issue. Uh, there's a lot of money coming into local communities and, and they need to be invested in, in really important ways and strategic ways. And if, if, you know, individuals impacted and, and their families aren't at those tables. Um, as Lauren Davis says in, in the, you know, in the film, it's uh, if we're not at the table, we're on the menu. Mm. And, um, <laughs> you know, so right. we need people to be at these tables. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, as we hear our social workers and also Dr. Carol Carter, who is the director and founder of the Sunshine Alternative Education and range for screening of this film in their, in their area. Now, you know, this is going to be, um, you know, on all the social media outlets, this particular interview and the ones that I did previously. And so somebody that might not be from the New York tri-state area might um, hear this or see this, or somebody that might be 
from the tri-state area but want to do this, how can they go about arranging a film screening exactly like the one that we're having on Thursday, October 6th at 7 p.m., which is free, by the way, at the Theater 3, 412 Main Street in Port Jefferson. Tell our listeners and viewers how they can arrange for one. Yeah, well, thank you so much for the question. So we have a website, uh, www.tippingthepainscale.com, www.tippingthepainscale.com. And um, there's a section of, of that website that, that links you to, to you know, organizational screenings and license information. We have a screening toolkit that walks you step-by-step step, uh, through our resource partner, Young People in Recovery, walks you step-by-step step on how to have um, and organize a screening, how to promote it. We have you know, all the collateral you might need, uh, you know, all, all the licensing information, how to find a venue, how to figure out which venue is right for you. Um, you know, so, so that's really, you know, that's our first and foremost, if people want to host something locally, um, there's also ways that, that you can, you know, kind of watch it at home and, and, and things like that now during recovery months. But, um, so people can see it, but the website's the best thing. And, uh, and then if you do see the film or, or you do come on October 6th, uh, the most important part for us is, you know, these, these films are, we don't have a big marketing budget, uh, if, if any, and, 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 it, and film is all word of mouth anyways, uh, to a large degree. And so, um, you know, please do share with your friends and family, um, you know, about this film, if it, if it moved you and touched you and, and, uh, uh, Jeff did such a beautiful job. I know that, that if you watch it, it will be, you will you will feel something and you will feel something visceral um in watching this film he's he's an incredible incredibly talented individual and um and so i look forward to people's reaction and 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 they're they're sharing their reaction of, of viewing this film with with their community and their networks okay and and, and one, one, one uh, last question where else has this been showed basically is what i'm what, what yeah. i want you to share with our listeners or viewers well, there's a lot of organizations similar like prevention and, and treatment organizations kind of like LICAD. Um, but we, we do uh, often have uh, individuals who work in criminal justice settings uh, wanting to bring the film into to those settings. A lot of universities bring it into their social work and, and their drug and alcohol. So I know you're, you're very connected to, to the National Association of Social Workers. Um, those, those communities uh, of, of getting social workers uh, educated and, and and inspired. I mean, sometimes you, you do this work for 10 years, 15 years, and and you need a film like this, right? Like you you, you, you need to feel connected to 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 why you do the work and and mm -hmm. and hopefully um you know that speaks to 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 that community of of social workers and drug and alcohol counselors who've committed their lives to to doing this service. Um and then, you know, we have other, um, you know, public health agencies and public health counties and things like that. Um, and, and just, you know, grassroots, you know, recovery homes and, um, you know, uh, uh, recovery groups. So I, any any and all between, it, it really is, um, you know, open for, for lots of different communities to be able to screen it. It's uh, anybody who cares about this issue. And uh, um, so, yes. Okay. All right. All right. And so... Um... What I like to do is, um, you know, when I close out, I like to ask whoever my guests or guests are, um, if you had 30 seconds to say one thing that you wanted to be impactful to anybody watching or listening to this, leave our listeners and viewers with something that you hope will, that they'll remember and that 
will spur them to come out and see this film and maybe even try to sponsor it on their own? What would you say? Yeah, you know, we Jeff and I do this work because, you know, we want to lend our time and, and, and talents to give communities something that they can use um, to celebrate the work they're doing. Um, the work that people watching and the work that people are doing in this space is hard work uh, and, and um, sometimes thankless work. Uh, and so the films that, that we like to make um, celebrate the humanity of those who serve, celebrate the humanity of, of those impacted and their families. Um, and so, you know, hopefully this, this provides a human lens on, uh, on this issue and, and we need to keep, um, finding ways and pathways to, to humanize one another, uh, you know, in, in contrast to all the, the news media and the other things that, that dehumanize people, um, suffering from addiction. Okay, thank you. Okay, and on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast with your host, Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Uh, and I've been having a very, very enlightening and engaging conversation with Mr. Greg Williams. He is the film producer, and you might say, well, what film did he produce? Well, he's produced many films, but the one that we're talking about today and that we're encouraging you all to come out and see in the Long Island uh, tri-state area is called Tipping the Pain Scale, okay? Addiction isn't a choice. Compassion is, which is the film's motto. And again, we've been talking with Mr. Greg Williams. He's the film producer of this film. And once again, we're going to say one more time, it's a free film screening coming up. Please join us Thursday, October 6th, time 7 p.m., location Theater 3, and the address is 412 Main Street, in Port Jefferson. This film screening is being um, sponsored by a collaboration with uh, Long Island Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, known as LICAD, uh, under the direction of Mr. Steve Chasman and Legislator Kara Hahn, uh, elected official in, in Suffolk County and both Prevention Center. So we're going to ask you all to please make sure you come out and let's pack the theater so we can spread the word. Thank you so much, Greg Williams, for taking time out to speak with us. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you, Silas. Really appreciate it. It's going to be a film screening called Tipping the Pain Scale. Uh, we're asking for everyone to bring someone with you. We're asking everyone to please tell someone about this. Uh, we want to pack the theater. Uh, we're asking for uh, educators, counselors, social workers, uh, mental health professionals, and anybody that cares about people and, and, and how they move about and how they go from one stage of life to another um, and has maybe fallen on hard times and fall, fallen victim to substance use. We're asking you all to come out and please share this. Again, Can I give a shout out to Theater 3, to Jeffrey Sanzel and Doug Quatuck, <laughs> thanking them for, for, for making the theater available. We're so grateful. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Let me drop an F bomb. It's free. <laughs> it's free. We don't want okay. money. We just want you to suit up and show up and get a message. And I think the filmmaker is going to do that great. Uh, Dr. Carter, Legislator Han will be serving on a panel. We're going to have some other clinicians and some moms and dads, but we're going to have a, a short dialogue after and really put a plan together to move ahead. But it's a free event. So we don't want your money. We just want your attention. Okay. 
Okay, and that's going to wrap it up for us on this uh, segment of the Kelson in the Air Social Work Podcast. I want to thank our three guests, um, three of my esteemed colleagues um, that I so much appreciate. Um, Mr. Steve Chasman, he's an LCSW, and he is the executive director of the Long Island Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. Uh, Dr. Carol Carter, the executive director and founder of the Sunshine Alternative um, Education and Prevention Center, and legislator Han um, from Suffolk County Legislator. Thank you all so much. Uh, once again, make sure you come to the film screening one more time, Thursday, October 6th, 7 p.m., Location, Theater 3, 412 Main Street, Port Jefferson. It's free. Please be there. Bring somebody with you. And to all my three guests, thank you so kindly. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right. Thank okay. you.